Hello, and welcome to TP's Music Talk Podcast. My name is Ryan Ford. And I'm Nick Replinger. And you can find us at our website, tpmusictalkpod.wordpress.com. And you can also find us at anchor.fm forward slash tpmusictalkpodcast and other major podcasting platforms by searching for TP's Music Talk Podcast. You can find us on other social media as well, like Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Tumblr, and others by searching for TP Music Talk Podcast or for TP Music Talk Pod on Twitter. Just look for our logo. And you can also email us at tpmusictalkpodcast at gmail.com. We also have shared playlists on Apple Music and Spotify that you can check out by searching TP's Music Talk Podcast as well. And don't forget to click the link in the description and leave us a voice message on Anchor. And feel free to leave us a message or a review anywhere you're listening. It really helps us out. And don't forget, donations are always appreciated. You can find a link to donate in the description of any of our episodes. No part of our show can be reproduced without permission or written consent. Hey everyone, just wanted to welcome you to the second part or second segment of our three-part episode with John Castler called The Voice of Cinema. If you're listening to this episode, this is part two, so if you haven't listened to part one, you may want to go back and check that out. It's not necessary, but it will give you some helpful information and terms that we'll use throughout the course of this episode. To give you a brief summary of what this episode is going to be about, we're talking about three out of the six composers that we chose to highlight throughout this segmented series. So in this episode, we'll be talking about John Williams, Hans Zimmer, and Howard Shore. We're going to talk about some of the movies that they've been a part of and, and some of the music scores that they've done uh, that they've done, and things like that. So it should be a fun time. Also wanted to give a shout out to John and just say thank you again for all your patience and for uh, helping us with this episode. It's been a lot of fun. And I did want to mention, so I engrave stuff. I think their site has been down recently. I think that they're going through a bit of a transitional period right now. They're kind of I know that McKay Wood, the owner of Iron Grave Stuff, he he just had a baby not long ago, and and so he's kind of working on some things in his life, and uh, the business is still there, though, so if you reach out to him, he can still, I I think he's still doing, uh, taking on projects for people and things like that. Uh, You just might have to reach out to Iron Grave Stuff on, like, Messenger, or there, there will probably be some links and some information on their Facebook page that you can check out, or even their website, uh, if it is up again. But just wanted to let you know about that. I Engrave Stuff is still our sponsor. And yeah, I've just had a couple people ask me about it recently. And I think things will be back up and running again with them soon. So, but yeah, I think I've rambled enough. So we'll go ahead and, and get into this episode now. And yeah, thank you. Please enjoy. Alrighty. <laughs> yeah. Well, Nick, I know that you've been wanting to talk about composers and music scores and stuff like this for a long time, and I have a feeling I know what movie you're going to talk about first, eh. but uh, do you want to <laughs> lead this oh, off? Oh, 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 what movie do you think I'm going to talk about, Ryan? I mean, I... <laughs> well, it's, it's going to be one of two, and, and it's either going to be, which I'm almost positive, it's Jurassic Park. John and I discussed this before the show. Um, <laughs> which you already brought up a little bit, mm-hmm. or it's going to be uh, Star Wars. You know, I love the music to Star Wars, but I actually don't listen to the Star Wars music um, soundtrack all that often. I have the entire <laughs> Jurassic Park <laughs> soundtrack on my phone, and I listen to it every now and then. But yeah, even though I love Star Wars music, I don't have Star Wars music 
on my phone. Interesting. Sounds good. But, wow. but anyways, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Jurassic Park. So, but <laughs> so, here's kind of how I want the layout to go. So we'll talk about a composer. I'll bring up a composer. We'll talk about their life. And then we'll dive into... Not their the wife, but their life. Life. <laughs> yes. Life. Sorry, a little joke that we I made before. <laughs> yeah, yeah what, what did you say again? I, I forgot, but it was funny. <laughs> well, yeah, well, we'll talk about... said that, you know, going into their life, and I said, not their wives, but their lives. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, so we'll go into their lives, and then we'll go into the movies, and like one or two movies that we want to talk about that they did. Sounds good to me. All right. First one up, I think everybody can guess, John Williams. Well, to me, I consider him the GOAT, you know, the greatest of all time in my personal opinion. Yeah. I think, like, um, it's very hard to disassociate film scores with uh, John Williams. It's like when people think of a music composer, they think John Williams. I feel like it's between John Williams and Hans Zimmer. I feel like they're the most... Too recognizable and popular. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, I'm. I think I lean towards Hans Zimmer, like I, as far as preference. Yeah, um, but I agree they're both phenomenal. Like definitely both are. They're they're the two goats. Yeah. Yeah, the two goats. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So John Williams, he was born in Queens, New York, and was exposed to music throughout his life because his father was a drummer for the CBS radio station. Oh, that's cool. And so as a teenager, he learned how to play the piano, the trumpet, the trombone, and the clarinet while growing up. Oh, is that all? (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be a composer, I would say you definitely have to be a multi-instrumentalist. Yeah. I mean, but it's really fascinating just like throughout his entire life, he was exposed to music because, you know, his father was a drummer and then he learned those instruments. And so... Music seemed to be always in the back of his mind growing up. And then he was called into the Air Force when he was a young adult. And he served in the Air Force for three years uh, back in the 50s. And while he was in the Air Force, he actually created bands and conducted music. Nice. So <laughs> these bands. That's awesome. So his you passion know, for music didn't end with childhood. <laughs> yeah, so like even in the Air Force, like... He wanted to do music, so he created bands and did music yeah. with these musicians. Well, I kind of feel like kind of goes into, you know, music has always been a part of war as well. So. Yeah, that well, is true. Um, and and when you say he created bands, like, was he, I don't know if you know, was he, like, a vocalist, or did he play instruments in these bands? You know, uh, think of, like, an orchestra band, you know, kind of like... Um, Maybe the Navy Orchestra or the Air Force Orchestra, you know. Well, yeah, each major branch of our military, the U.S. military, has their own theme as well. Yeah, exactly. So it wasn't like music wasn't a thing in the Air Force. He was just, he wanted to be a part of it very exclusively. So, and then when he got back from the Air Force, he went back to New York City and learned from... Uh, New York City jazz musicians on how to do jazz music on the piano. There you go. Which was a very like kind of free form way of of creating music. Uh, and, and like we talked about before, expression, I'm sure. Yeah, expression. Like jazz is top notch, like very expressionable. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, it's very hard to play jazz on the drums, I have to say. It's like you have to really <laughs> feel how the music has to sound or the tempo has to sound like each different stick or branch or 
brush gives a different sound, creating different expressions. Yeah, I mean, like when I, whenever I've categorized drummers, I put them into two different categories. You have the ones that are, you know, that are very, you know, they're they're very technical drummers. You know, yeah. you know they're they're to the book. But then, then I also have a different category uh, that I call. I just forgot the term that I gave uh, that, that I made up my, myself. Uh, uh, there. I'll make one up. Uh, freestyle. Yeah, pretty much like that. Freestyle, the a freeform drummer. Okay. Yeah. And I think like some good examples. I mean, I would say like a more freeform drummer would be David Grohl because like in Nirvana, he did some very different things with with the drums, right? When, when he would do, yeah, you know, yeah, def- very, de- very much definitely, and. Kurt Cobain was looking for a very specific sound for Nirvana, so I would also, I would say Dave Grohl's a little bit more technical, in my personal opinion, because I don't I remember the exact number, but Dave, um, Kurt Cobain went through multiple, multiple drummers before he decided that, that Dave Grohl's sound was what he was looking for, for Nirvana. Yeah, so, so maybe he is more technical, but just yeah. kind of unique, yeah. unique kind of technical. I, and uh, when I think when I think of technical, I also think of like uh, Danny Carey from Tool. You yeah, know. that's mm. that's yeah. I would say that's the pinnacle of technical. <laughs> yeah, like his his drumming is just insane, and it's yeah. it's so on point and just by the book. Yeah. You know. So yeah, basically, because John Williams learned from the jazz musicians, you can see like more ideas for music came into his head, right? But kind of an interesting thing about uh, John Williams is that he didn't stay in New York City all of his life. He actually moved between New York City and Los Angeles. He would go back and forth between the East Coast and the West Coast. And when he was in the West Coast in Los Angeles, he would be a pianist for music composers. And so he was, let's see, he did, he was a pianist for composers like Jerry Goldsmith, Bernard Herrmann. Leonard Bernstein, Alfred Newman, Henry Mianchi, and I'm pretty sure I botched up a couple of those. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> but basically, when he was in Los Angeles, he learned what it's like to be a musician for a music composer doing film, if that makes sense. Yeah, it was kind of his first dip into that. Yeah. And if you don't know, Bernard... I'm thinking of Megan Mine. Bernard. Oh, Bernard. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that in ages. But, Classic movie. Anyways. But, but the composer Bernard, he was the composer for Psycho. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, yeah. So, a little bit of a hint there. And so... <laughs> young, young. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... All right. Yeah, yeah something like that. <laughs> but kind of very cool movies that he was a pianist for was West Side Story and The Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, really? Oh, wow, both very iconic. Yeah, um, so the piano music that you hear in those movies, that was John Williams playing. I had no idea um, about that. That's really cool. Yeah, and yeah. I love West Side. I, I love both of those movies. They're, I mean, they're old, but they're good. Yeah. <laughs> and so originally he thought he was going to be a piano player for the rest of his life, but then he realized that he wanted to be a conductor. Just between New York City and, you know, the film composing he really liked the composing aspect of music and wanted to create music of his own. And so, basically, he started out composing music back in the late 60s, and he started doing TV show music. So, some examples of TV shows he did was Gilligan's Island. 
Okay. Very and, nice. Yeah. And Lost in Space. Oh, yeah. So the original. The, yeah, the original Lost, Lost yeah. in Space. That's cool. So the kind of weird, you know, he composed that. I forgot how the <laughs> how it goes exactly, the Lost in Space theme. Well, um, and something I'm noticing, like this seems just like the perfect smelting pot for a great musician. Like, you oh, know, yeah. he grew up with his dad being a drummer and learning different instruments. He went to the Air Force and was working, you know, putting bands together and making and I'm sure playing music. And then he was traveling between Los Angeles and New York, which the those are like the two different music scenes at the time. You've yeah. got East and West and... So, yeah, it's just, like, the perfect culmination. Like, I can see how he became as talented as he is, you know, yeah. sort of thing. It's and really fascinating. Just have the right connections, too, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Just being with the right people at the right time really gave him the advantage, I feel like. And I think might have been some luck there, I have to say. Yeah. Oh, there's always <laughs> luck involved, right? Like, like I said, the right connections. Yeah. Not lucky with those connections. And so now, guess what? In the mid-70s, he met up with a director named Steven Spielberg, who was this young guy wow. that wanted to do mu movies for a living. And I couldn't have gone anywhere, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Mm -mm. <laughs> so it, it became like a... So Steven Spielberg and John Williams are like peanut butter and jelly, pizza and pepperoni. Think about it. There's actually only three movies that Steven Spielberg made that didn't have John Williams as the music composer. No way. Do you know which movies? Uh, the Color Purple. I guarantee they're not uh, quite as popular as Steven Spielberg's most iconic movies. Right, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, so The Color Purple, Bridge of Spies, and Ready Player One. Oh, and really? I actually really enjoy Ready Player One. Yeah, Ready Player One's good. I also enjoyed Bridge of Spies as well. Yeah, but those are like the only three movies that S Steven Spielberg uh, directed that didn't have John Williams as a music conductor. But all other Steven Spielberg movies, guaranteed you're going to see John Williams in there. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. And so because of uh, it was kind of interesting, like um, they were kind of like, all right, you're kind of cool, sort of, you know, at the beginning. But then after they made their first movie, they were like best buds. Yeah. So, oh, I'm they, sure, they yeah. got along well. And <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, well then why do you think John Williams also did Star Wars? Because, you know, Spielberg's also synonymous with Lucas. Exactly. Lucas. Right, right. Yeah, there's that connection there with Steven Spielberg knowing George Lucas, and pretty sure Steven recommended John Williams to Lucas, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And or, or vice versa, because I, I think, and sorry, that, but uh, George Lucas, when he first came out with Star Wars and A New Hope, it wasn't very popular, right? Like, that was like... No, no, yeah, he, he put his whole career on the line with... <laughs> with yeah. The first Star Wars movie. Yeah. So maybe it was more like he was talking to Spielberg and like, yeah, there's this George Lucas guy. I think he's on to something. Maybe if you want to help him out. I, I don't know. <laughs> It'd be curious to. Yeah, I don't know the whole story, whether whether who was who, but I'm pretty sure because they all knew each other. That's why they all collaborated. Yeah. yeah. Super cool. And so basically kind of giving a, like, what do you call it? Like a bio show off description. What, what do you call those when you introduce a person? Oh, and their uh, credentials. Like an autobiography? Or no, no. Uh, you know, um, like... Like an introduction? Or? Yeah, like an introduction. Yeah, would you call it an intro? Yeah. <laughs> I kind of see it as like a, kind of the, the bragging rights of the speaker. 
you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. like the highlights of the career yeah. and, and that sort of thing. So here's the highlights. Five Academy Awards, 50 Academy nominations, three Emmys, 20 Grammys, National Medal of Arts, which is the highest that the government can award to an artist. So yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Of goat, accolades. goat. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of accolades. So, yeah, John Williams is the man. So some movies that he did, Jaws, Star Wars. Jurassic Park. E.T. <laughs> <laughs> Superman. I'm going to say this name wrong. Uh, Sinager's List. What is it? Oh, oh, Schindler's List. Schindler's List. Oh, That's, okay. right. That's actually the movie that um, Spielberg did after Jurassic Park. Oh, okay. Good to know. Indiana Jones, Saving Private Ryan. Good movie. <laughs> <laughs> Jurassic Park, like Nick said. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 you were pointing to say Jurassic Park. Okay. I thought we'd move past because I had already said it. Missed yeah. the cue. Missed the cue there, Nick. Oh, I th- hey, Saving Private Ryan's a really good movie, too. So, <laughs> Harry Potter. Yeah, Harry Potter. Yeah, that's a really good track. Uh, Lincoln, Home Alone, actually. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that one. And basically, Countless More. But those are like some highlight movies. All right. So, I'm going to go a little bit into the style. Basically, John Williams' motto seems to be create as many light motifs as possible. Well, yeah, because, I mean, when you think about all those movies, I mean, when you hear, like, the music for Home Alone, instantly recognizable. Instantly takes me to dun, 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 dun. And I'm thinking about uh, the the house and and the, yeah, anyway. Or like Harry Potter. Do, 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 do. Harry Potter. Or Jurassic Park. Or Indiana Jones. I yep. mean, instantly. I would say John Williams is the ultimate leitmotif musician. He just knows exactly how to create memorable music. And if affiliated with uh, the movies... And that's very interesting because all the other composers, yeah, they do light motifs here and there, but not to the scale that John Williams does. He's John Williams is like light motif all the way. It seems like, yeah. So, and another in- interesting, <clears throat> another interesting style of John Williams is he's always live orchestra. He has never touched a computer when doing music. Oh wow! Ne- wow. I didn't know that. So like the new Star Wars movies of, you know, the Last Jedi, Rise of Skywalker, he hand wrote all the notes of the music, never touched the computer, did live orchestra for those movies. That's so awesome. I love that. <laughs> and, and you know what's really funny is when it comes to creative people like that, I feel like that's often the case. Like, you know, some of the top artists, lyricists, they still will write their lyrics on paper. You yeah. know, they, they won't type anything up. They it, It's just crazy. I, I don't know. There's something about it. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's kind of the style, John Williams' style. Always live, always handwritten, leitmotif all the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any other styles you think affili- are affiliated with John Williams? Awesome movies, that's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just the awesome perfect. Awesome movies. Yeah, perfect cool. combination. And now we're just going to let loose with our favorite movies that John Williams has conducted. So anybody want to go first or I can go first if you want. 
Well, I've already made it very clear. So. <laughs> uh, wait, which one was it again, Nick? I think it starts with a J. Yeah. I could be wrong. Is it the one about dinosaurs? Oh, Maybe. Man. No, definitely couldn't be about dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Now, here, let me pull up the, the title, well, the, the soundtracks. So, I've listened to this this album or soundtrack, whatever you want to call it, multiple, multiple times. And I think it's probably the only one where I've listened to every single song because I love every single song on yeah. here. But that's because I can, going back to the leitmotif, I can see all the scenes when I'm listening to all these songs. Yeah. But also because I've seen the movie a million times. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that helps, right? <laughs> but it also helps that I'm able to picture them as well because probably because of that leitmotif. Yeah. Exactly. But, um, but the very first track is just called opening titles, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and that just goes boom. Boom. <laughs> I wish we could, you know, it's, it's kind of funny though. Like I'm not always sad about the whole copyright issue with podcasting because then I get to hear Nick do stuff like that I know, and, right? and me do my <laughs> weird stuff. Like it's, it's just hilarious. So. Yeah, but it's. It's really cool because um, opening titles is actually my favorite part of the entire album. I could listen to that over and over and over again, even though it's probably, let's see, let's see how long is it? Hold on, make sure I don't 30 exactly play I would say it's probably less. It is, no, yeah, it is 33 seconds long. Wow. And I would say it's the most iconic part of Jurassic Park. I mean, it's the very first thing that you hear when you start the movie. You hear the boom, and then you see, you know, the, you know, the, well, you first hear the Universal Studios, you see the entire world, you hear just a bunch of crickets, and then you hear the boom, yeah. and then the opening, you know, you know titles, you know, as the song yeah. is called, and you hear that, that weird sounding kind of flute thing, I don't yeah. know what instrument it is, yeah. but it just encapsulates what I would imagine myself being in, you know, the Jurassic or Cretaceous periods, you know, yeah. in prehistoric Earth. It just feels like dinosaurs when I hear that track. Yeah, it's very rural and raw, and and just yeah. kind of. And it's also one of those that it's um it's you know the reason why you find it funny because it's atonal music. It's not tonal music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not something you can really hum or sing. You just yeah. give these sound effects. Boom, It's Like I'm not singing a melody right here. It's all atonal music. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I also just, I love that intro too. When Nick first showed me the mo uh, the movie, I actually hadn't seen the movie until Nick came into my life. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, I remember you telling me you hadn't seen Jurassic Park. I was like, what? We're changing <laughs> that. <it> <laughs> but just like that first scene, it's just like, boom. It's just like, whoa. And then, yeah. whoa. Well, I, it really wakes you up and it's just like, you're there instantly. Yeah, and the thing is, um, also, because of COVID, I learned this too as well. This whole soundtrack makes this also because you know Jurassic Park is an iconic movie because it's also a pioneer in in um, CGI. Yeah, it was the very first movie to do the kind of CGI that they use in this movie. I mean, CGI had been used before with other movies like Terminator, yeah. but not to the same extent, you know, as Jurassic Park making real life lifelike dinosaurs come to life. It was the first time they ever used this kind of technology. I'm like, they already started filming and we were going to use stop motion when they started filming. It was only halfway through when they started to use CGI because they came up to Steven Spielberg and said, hey, 
we can actually make a walking dinosaur that's not glitchy like stop motion. Yeah. And they showed him uh, a bunch of you know just a skeleton of the Gallimimus running through the field. Yeah. From the movie, just has skeletons, and it seemed more lifelike than any mm. stop motion. stop motion that they had done for the filming for the movie yeah. already. And so like, okay, well, let's just transition to that. And wow. CGI has stuck ever since because it mm. was so successful. Yeah. But anyways, going into that, you know, for my point, is that the music also helped with all that CGI too. This soundtrack, I found out from just my own personal experience. No one told me this. I experienced this because, I mean, Jurassic Park is as old as I am. It came out in 1993. Yeah. It's actually two months older than I am. It came out in June of 93. I was born in August of 93. <laughs> <laughs> well, and um, so, of course, you know, being a brand new newborn, of course, my parents didn't take me to see Jurassic <laughs> Park. So <laughs> I can see little Nick. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, you know. <laughs> but anyways, um. So I never got to see it in theaters. I was yeah. maybe six years old the first time I saw it, just seeing it as a rerun on TV. Yeah. But during COVID, you know, the whole movie industry was stopped. You know, so they weren't coming out with new movies, but the movie theaters still were trying to make money, you know, and not yeah. go under and all the stuff. So they just played a bunch of blockbusters. And of course, what better blockbuster than Jurassic Park to exactly, play? Exactly. Yeah. And so to surprise Nina for our 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 dating anniversary at the time, because we weren't married yet. I took her and surprised her to go see Jurassic Park because she loves Jurassic Park as much as I do. Yeah. And so, you know, I surprised her, like, oh, we're just going to go see movies. She's like, what movies? Like, oh, you'll see, you know. And, you know, <laughs> I had her go and not, not see the, you know, the our tickets or anything or any posters. Uh, and yeah. we just walked in and we just started the movie. And um, it was insane because I've seen Jurassic Park hundreds of times prior to this. Yeah. And it was like watching it for the first time because I had never seen it before on the big screen wow. with a huge giant surround sound system. I mean, yeah. literally, well, you know, that, you know, the opening titles, the song yeah. that we're talking about right now, I mean, that boom, and literally it vibrated every inch of my body. Wow. I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? Jurassic Park was a movie made for the big screen and wow. it's a different experience watching it because, you know, of the visuals and the music. Wow. And it's so, like, if you ever have the chance to go to a movie theater and see Jurassic Park, do it. Because it is a different experience watching wow. it from your TV at home. Yeah, I mean, to go along with that, it makes sense with John Williams and Steven Spielberg collaborating. Because they were making it for the big screen. So John Williams must have thought, all right, what is the biggest boom is i know yeah <laughs> just as big boom like you know? you just, and you just feel that vibrate throughout your entire body it's not not just like in your chest or anything literally your whole body just vibrated yeah like, whoa and then the other times like i talked at the beginning of this episode you know there's points in the movie where they don't use music and you hear the t-rex roar and because yeah. the absence of that music is so intense you're like oh my gosh you actually feel like you're there on <laughs> on the island, you know, watching the T-Rex break out. Yeah. And I think it's, they probably said, this scene doesn't need music. It needs the absence of music yeah. to emphasize, you know, what's going on right here. I'm willing to bet they talked about that when they were spotting. Yeah. I don't know for sure, but that's my bet. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they would have too. Yeah, yeah. Jurassic Park, very iconic opening scene. And everybody knows the the main theme song during the middle of the movie, the da, 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 yeah, da, exactly. Da, 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 da. And yeah. just memes everywhere about that. Yeah. So 
Anyways, I could no. That's just me talking about one track on here. So yeah. we we can move on from <laughs> Sounds that. Good. But well, I, but some of my yeah. favorites on there. If you want to listen to it, definitely opening titles. Then let's see. Of course, then number two is Jurassic Park, which is the iconic light motif. You know, yeah. you know what John just just saying for us. I like the Raptor Attack. I like Hungry Raptor, T Rex Rescue and Finale. Dennis steals the embryos. I mean, honestly, all of these are good. I also like um Hatching Baby Raptor. If you want, listen to any other <laughs> that say Raptor in it, you're probably going to like it. You like listening to soundtrack music because it's music made for the Velociraptors. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Well, and, and I just wanted to add, like, it pushed so many boundaries, like Nick was saying. It pushed CGI forward. It pushed uh, puppet making forward. It pushed... Uh, Actually, puppet making, it kind of, that movie was kind of a detriment to that. <laughs> oh, really? So, I thought, yeah. like, because they... Uh, um, oh, they, they had to adapt to it. Otherwise, it would would it, would it completely extinct. Uh, oh, right, right. But but like just how they combined the two, like with the raptors. You know, some of the raptor scenes were actually puppets, and it's like yeah. you cannot tell by watching. Oh yeah, well, that's it. what makes Jurassic Park even stand you know above some CGI movies today because there are parts of the movie where they're like you know they use the CGI T Rex, but there, there's a part where. Because you see the in the cars when the T Rex is out, you see through the the glass roof, you see the CGI T Rex. But then there's this part of the beam right there between the glass and the the windshield, and they slowly transition to no, no, wait, it's the animatronic that you see, and then it's being blocked off by this part of the car, and then they mm. have the CGI T Rex walk, and it's so seamless that. I, if you're not looking for it, you don't notice it. Wow, and that's yeah. why it seems so realistic. Wow. You see realistic animatronic <laughs> T-Rex to CGI T-Rex walking. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Like, as far as pushing puppetry forward, like using them both together and making it so seamless was yeah. just, and, and then like any, everything from the sound effects, like the, they had to come up with all of these sounds for the dinosaurs yeah. and like Nobody's, just, Nobody's ever heard of a dinosaur, you know, talking. Yeah, yeah. 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 And like in the behind the scenes, I could talk about this forever, guys. But yeah, <laughs> yeah but, we'll, we'll, but, we'll move on. Yeah, but let me just finish this one last thing. <laughs> in the behind the scenes of the Jurassic Park, I have like the 20th edition yeah. anniversary um, DVD pack for the first three movies. And like the guy, you know, they interviewed the guy who went around and created the sounds for the dinosaurs. He literally went all over the world just looking for dinosaur sounds. Wow. And it made him rich making those sounds. Like, <laughs> it, like he was already doing this kind of thing as his profession, but doing it for Jurassic Park made him wealthy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Like just just going around like, huh, what does a T-Rex sound like? Or what does a Velociraptor or a Brontosaurus or a Triceratops sound like? Yeah. Yeah, just the sound editing, too, is also really top-notch. It, it just was a whole new step for cinema Yeah, all around. And why it's still popular today, because just broke so many boundaries and molds for cinema. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I guess I'll talk about one more movie that John Williams had had done, unless if you had a quick movie, Ryan. I'll, I'll try and be quick, but, but I mean. Cool. Yeah. yeah, sorry, it, I kind of took all of that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no <laughs> you're good. Dinosaurs all the way. Well, and I feel like out of <laughs> all of our choices, that's definitely the one that we should have spent the most time on, and, and yeah. I'm glad we did. Um, but just really quick, I just want to, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Star Wars. Like, oh, yeah. And I think, like John was saying, as far as leitmotifs, 
I mean, when I, and I think a, a good example of this is if you go to Disneyland and you walk into Star Tours or, or uh, now Star Wars Land or... Yes, they definitely have music playing around there too, so... Yeah, yeah exactly, and, and uh, it just takes you there, you know? Yeah. It, you are in the Star Wars universe, like, it would be nothing without the music and, and the feelings that, you know, like... Uh, I think one of my favorite ones is The Empire Strikes Back. There's some incredible music in there. Well, even with Star Wars, there's a bunch of, you know, iconic motifs. Every character has their own theme. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, I mean, uh, everything from the scenes with the droids versus the scenes with, you know, other kind of alien creatures versus uh, the Jedi. Like, it's it just takes you into that universe. Yeah. And I feel like he's very good at doing that with all of the different movies. Most yeah. of them probably Spielberg movies. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure, like, I don't know if it was because of Spielberg movies that made John Williams famous or vice versa or both. It's just, I feel like you can't have one without the other. Exactly. Personally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think like John Williams helped Spielberg get the movies to where he wanted and the movies that Spielberg put out made John Williams famous. Just, you know, peanut butter jelly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, let's say what, what was yours, John? Uh, Jaws. So yeah, yeah that's another iconic. Yeah, just a little bit of background story about me. When I was a kid, I was obsessed, like, with a long ass with, <laughs> with sharks. I just knew everything about sharks and everything. And uh, kind of a funny thing, in the movie, like, there were these fishermen that tried to find the killer shark, and they accidentally got the tiger shark, and they thought it was, you know. Oh, right. It was the killer shark. And, you know, seeing the movie for the first time, I'm just like, no, that's not the shark. That's the tiger shark, <laughs> you know? And it's not until the scientist came into the scene where he said, it's a tiger shark. And I was like, there we go. <laughs> Called it. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I, I was a huge nerd of sharks back in the day. So Jaws. Yeah. And definitely, I mean, everyone knows the soundtrack to Jaws. Dun, yeah. dun, 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 yeah. dun. Oh, you have to remember it starts with, uh, you know, going with tempos and things like that. It starts with the slow. That's true. And then slowly gets faster, like a shark slowly, and then attacking its prey. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good point, Nick. I'd never thought about that. That's a good example. It goes along with the nature of a shark, where it's just slowly approaching, so that going with the speed of the shark, and then don't you hear the horns? Yeah, so like that's a very good example of how tempo affects your feelings because you know it starts off slow, you know, so you're just like, okay, this is nice, relaxing because the first thing you see is just the ocean floor, and then you just see going up <laughs> you're like oh no what's happening and then you know just suspenseful just like oh there's a lady there gonna eat her it's just like yeah just a really good example of how temple affects your feelings and pretty sure john williams knew about that or just had an inkling about it even if he didn't know it as a scientist yeah know? like even if he didn't know the exact term like he he understood it you yeah know? exactly and it's also very interesting too John Williams is also a master at like affecting your feelings with the timing of the music. Cause for like the first half of the movie, every time that the shark Bruce came, his nickname was Bruce. Right. <laughs> right. The, the animatronic that would always break yeah. down. <laughs> so whenever Bruce would approach a person, there's always the da, 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 da. So people would know, okay, Bruce, the shark is on scene, right? 
But then, like, the second half of the movie, when they were trying to catch Bruce, the three guys on the ship, yeah, there was a scene where, you know, they were letting out buckets of barrels to help yeah, drown all, the shark. Yeah, all the chum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, here comes the shark popping out of the water, you know, no music or anything. Just all of a sudden, Bruce comes out of the water, catches you, catches you off guard. So I, I just want to quickly say I am terrified of sharks and this is literally <laughs> making my heart pound faster <laughs> just talking about that scene because it scared the crap out of me. Yeah. Well, well also, I mean, Jaws, if I took in high school, uh, the history of, of, of what was music? it? Uh, just a history of, of you know, modern music and all that stuff yeah. and all that stuff. And Jaws is one of the soundtracks that w- came up in that class yeah. and saying that the movie, you know, it's, they looked into it, studied and all that stuff. Without John Williams and making that music, that that soundtrack, the movie would have been a total flop at the box office. It would yeah. not be the iconic movie that it is still today. Yeah. And uh, my dad always tells tells me a story because he was a kid when Jaws came out. Yeah. And he wanted to go see it, but my grandparents, you know, his parents didn't. You know, said, "No, you're too young to go see that movie. We don't want you seeing it." But apparently he snuck out with his cousins and saw it anyways. <laughs> and my dad says to this day, actually, ironically, my dad told this story last night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Funny. My dad likes to repeat stories a lot, but I don't mind it because I like listening to yeah. his stories. But <laughs> but anyways, he says still to this day in his late 50s, <laughs> he can't go to the ocean and be afraid that something's going to grab his leg and he'll bite him. Yeah. He still has yeah. that fear you know, of sharks in the ocean just because of Jaws and the music. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's like, because of the music, it made people afraid of sharks. And that's where we get the whole classic, I don't want to go into the ocean because there might be sharks. You know, yeah. It made a whole nation of people afraid of sharks. You know? <laughs> well, and, and I mean, I'm one of those people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope, like, I think that I have some solid reasons why other than just jaws that yeah. I'm afraid of sharks. Although I, granted, yeah. I know that they're pretty docile creatures yeah. and misunderstood. <laughs> and I, I understand that. Yeah. And yeah. they only kill maybe like what? 10 people a year. Yeah. And they're, we kill literally thousands of them every year. Yes. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I understand. Like all we're, of that. we're the real predator when it comes to sharks. <laughs> but just knowing that there is a creature in the water that is that big and that powerful just yeah. scares me. I just want to mention one more thing about the Jaws soundtrack that I think ties in with John Williams' life. Remember how I said that he was the pianist for Bernard? Yes. The composer for Psycho? Mm-hmm. Where do you think he got the inspiration for suspenseful music? From Bernard, I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking that he got the inspiration for suspenseful music from Bernard. You yeah. Know, think about that. That's uh, of course you would take you know from from your mentors right yeah, yeah. exactly well and and like I said it's the perfect smelting pot for the exactly. perfect composer yeah I mean the theme is so iconic that even SpongeBob made a, <laughs> a joke about it really it, what was the joke it was it was the episode called Clams it was a parody of the Jaws movie I don't know if you ever seen it Nick you're a SpongeBob fan yeah you should know. They, but what it has the Jaws music in it, right? Yeah. 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 I think I've, I know what you're talking about. I haven't seen it. In a long what time. happens in that episode? I don't remember. But basically, so Mr. Krabs got his millionth dollar. And oh, that's right. Yes. I remember now. <laughs> I remember now. <laughs> yeah. So SpongeBob <laughs> accidentally tosses out the uh, yeah. dollar on his fishing line and then. Oh, you know, and sp- the giant clam. Yeah. Yes. Giant clam. And, yeah then and Mr. Krabs wants the, 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 
there's like a, a little cubby hole cubby hole on the ship where there shows an orchestra playing you know yes. those jaws like music <laughs> yeah and, he, and mr Grimes like no stop playing that music you know something <laughs> bad's gonna happen you know yeah it's just like <laughs> spongebob reel it in that's a four beat on four beat orchestra music or something like that. Yeah, he says something clever and witty like the critics of SpongeBob do. Yeah. It's just like, every sailor know that means death. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, stop playing the music. Hurry, SpongeBob. The music's getting faster. That's actually one of my favorite SpongeBob episodes. I can't believe I didn't like remember that right away. Yeah. yeah. Okay. One, one last note. This is the absolute last one. <laughs> so when uh, John Williams showed Steven Spielberg the... The theme music for Jaws, you know, that 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 that. Um, Steven Spielberg thought that he was joking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's understandable. Like, I mean, anybody can play it on it because it literally is two notes. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like Steven Spielberg was like, <laughs> John Williams, that's that's a good joke, man. And Williams is like, no, this is for real. Da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I like. As John Williams, I'm sure I'd be like, I hope this guy knows what he's doing. Like, <laughs> yes. Yeah, Spielberg was like... Or, or Spielberg, yeah. Yeah, it's just like... It wasn't until, like, after a few times of listening to it, it's just like Spielberg was like, yeah, this is actually the music for Jaws. So, but that's just... It always makes me laugh, just like... Well, it is funny because... It, <laughs> yeah, like, because without that music, that movie wouldn't have done well. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, yeah. Unfortunately, I read this recently. John Williams is going to retire after doing one more movie. He's going to do Indiana Jones 5. And That's right. And well, then, I guess that would be a fitting one anyways. And then, very iconic. And then he said after that, he's just going to retire. And so, yeah. After Kinda that, sad. Yeah. After that, John Williams will be a thing that we talk about for, you know, film history and things like that. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, a lot of his movies will be around for a long time to come. Yeah. They've already been around for a long time, and they aren't going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> That's so. true. I mean, you got Star Wars back from the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah, it's just crazy just how much John Williams contributed to cinema. It's just crazy. I don't know how cinema would have been without him. So, Yeah. There's that. All right. Let's go into composer number two. Can you guess what it is? Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer. This Uh, is my favorite. Yeah, Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer is actually a really fascinating um, backstory. So Hans Zimmer, he was born in Frankfurt, Germany, during the height of the Cold War, actually. So he was on the west part of Germany, so the capitalist part of Germany. But um, his mother was a pianist, and his father was an engineer, Hmm. which is kind of interesting to think about. So it kind of makes me think that maybe he inherited both traits. He got the musician part from his mother, and then he got the engineering side of music from his father, you know, creating new sounds, new ways of music from his father, you know. Yeah. Just that engineering side of him. And so it's kind of interesting because when he grew up, he only had two weeks of formal piano lessons. And then he said, I quit. <laughs> one of the most iconic composers of all time <laughs> like nope not doing that it's really interesting but he didn't quit because it was too hard he quit because he was just like this is not my style and he kind of like mozart he just decides to create his own kind of music just kind of fiddling around with the piano and trying to create like new melodies yeah 
And so he would listen by ear and come up with uh, music of his own. And he only had two weeks of formal music lessons. Wow. So and it's crazy. Sounds like he taught himself from that point then. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and so the unfortunate thing, though, was that his father actually died when he was six years old. And he said that music was his way of escaping and expressing his emotions, if you can imagine that. Well, yeah, I, I think we can all relate to that in various ways. And so when he became an adult, he decided to move to England and to kind of go into the scene of music a bit more, kind of go into bands and like learn how to and listen to different types of music, if that makes sense. And he also went to a music college as well and learned more about music from a formal educational studies. So while he was in England, he became part of a band called the Buggles. The Buggles? Yeah, the Buggles. Interesting. Is it not the Bugles? Or the Bugles? Okay. Or yeah. the Buggles? Okay. Well, it's B-U-G-G-L-E-S. Sounds like Buggles. I yeah. thought it was the Bugles, but that's, yeah. I could be wrong, though. Well, I, <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. Or maybe I miswrote it. No, no, it definitely is a double G, <laughs> but I always yeah. thought it was pronounced the, the Bugles. Oh. Unless I'm thinking of a different band. <laughs> oh, well. Anyway, so he became a part of this band in England. And interestingly enough, they did a music video, this band. And that music video was the first music video shown on MTV. Oh, that is pretty cool. <laughs> so... Their band did the song Video Killed the Radio Star. Yeah, I love that song. Wow. And you can actually see Hans Zimmer at the end of the music video. He's the second keyboardist in the black leather suit. I'm liking this guy more and more all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, I've always I've heard of them because I love like that song because it's actually not the original version of the song. It is a cover. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It might be a cover then. It, it, it is a cover because the original song, I, f I forget who originally wrote it, but they're the ones who made it super popular in, today, in today's, yeah. well, whatever you want to call that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, yeah, like I, I know that song, love that song, but I didn't know that Hamza Zimmer was part of them. Yeah, so he was in the first music video of MTV. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that until I did some research. It's just like, what? <laughs> I know, like, it's it's crazy to think about. I, uh, yeah, I would have never even guessed that. Like, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, basically, long story short, he quit the band and decided to move to the United States to pursue more music and to compose music. And basically, he moved to the United States in the 80s and started composing music for Hollywood after that point. And pretty much the rest is history. So from that point on, Hans Zimmer has become one of the most well-known music composers for cinema <laughs> in the world. Yeah, I mean, he's got, just like John Williams, he has a very impressive list of accolades and all that stuff yeah. and, and things under his belt. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. It seems like Christopher Nolan seems to be his favorite director to work with, if you notice that. Yeah, yeah. And and Christopher Nolan, I think, is kind of a... He likes to play with very... Oh, gosh. What's <laughs> what's even the word? Like, not abstract ideas, but just very complex storylines. Out, out of the box. Yeah, thinking. right, yeah. right. I mean, it makes sense when you've 
realize the two traits of the two guys. Christopher Nolan is a director that wants to propel visual images to the next step, you know? Yeah. So creating Inception or Tenet or uh, what was that recent movie? Tenet? Yeah, yeah Tenet, I think yeah. it was Tenet. Yeah, Tenet. Yeah. And then you have Hans Zimmer, who is a music composer that wants to experiment with different types of music sounds. Yeah. If you notice, I guess we'll go into the style of Hans Zimmer's. He is an interesting guy because, you know, he does live orchestras every now and then, but he also fiddles around on the computer and manipulates music to create different types of sounds and music that nobody's ever heard of before, Yeah, if that makes sense. That's something I love about him, and, and some of my favorite movies like Inception, Interstellar, Lion King. Yeah. It, like kind of out of the box, like unique sounds in all of those, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because like um, Hans Zimmer, he's another one where I have a whole entire album that's one of my top favorite film scores, which is The Dark Knight. Yeah. Yeah, that was yeah, a great like, one. Like all other composers, I just have a few of them here and there, but it's just Jurassic Park and The Dark Knight where I have the entire album, yeah. and I listened to it from 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 song number one to the end. Yeah. I could just listen to it all the way through and just be entertained and, and just, you know, I'm taking somewhere, especially with The Dark Knight. When I listen to that soundtrack by Hans Zimmer, I feel like it's more, I don't know, I feel like since it's Dark Knight, it's Batman, and it was from Chicago, I lived in Chicago for two years, I, I can kind of see where he might have got his inspirations from that. Yeah. Just because, you know, the Dark Knight, it's Batman and, and all that stuff. Yeah. And then Chicago, you know, it's a, I would say it's a darker feeling city, which is yeah. why they chose to film that movie in Chicago. <laughs> and all Shout that stuff. out to Chicago. Yeah. So, but you, know, you can just feel Great it because it's, it's full of, you know, like you said, you know, he also likes to experiment with interesting yeah. sounds. Like when you listen to the Joker's theme, you know, it's like that. Sound, you know, it's more, it's more atonal music, so you can't really sing it. So, <laughs> and, but and then you got the big, huge, giant drums that are just banging all through it. Yeah, he's good at like creating moments. Like, yeah. uh, I, I feel like John Williams takes you to a specific place, but Hans Zimmer takes you to a specific place place of mind if that makes sense that's or, an or interesting like, way of putting it well, that's a, well yeah because when i listen to the dark knight soundtrack i'm always in a more serious mood yeah if i'm feeling for something more upbeat or anything like that i typically don't put that one on i'll yeah. listen to if i'm in the mood for soundtrack music i have to be in a more serious mood to listen to that one but. that is an interesting point yeah with like listening to hans zimmer music it's like there's not that many leitmotifs Hans Zimmer has done. Maybe like Lion King, Pirates of the Caribbean. That's another one ones that I really like. I don't have a, the whole album of yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean, but it's another one I just have bits and pieces. Maybe Interstellar, but it's just like, other than that, it's kind of like, you don't recognize it right off the bat, if that makes sense. Yeah. there. I mean, Lion King, I think, would be his most leitmotif yeah. sounding Music or, yeah. or composition? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm I'm looking at his list. No, wait. One that he definitely does have is um Top Gun. He he looks like oh. he did the music for Top Gun Maverick. Oh, interesting. I, I don't know, know if that. he did it for the first one, but he has Top Gun Maverick, which yeah. still has a lot of the original music from the first one. Yeah. 
Yeah, so like some other movies that he did. So we talked about Lion King, Thin Red Line, uh, Crimson Tide, The Prince of Egypt, El Dorado. Yeah. Yeah, I love El Dorado. That's <laughs> Gladiator. Um, oh, that's one of yeah. my favorite. See, uh, like some of my favorite. I, sorry, I'm I'm yeah. kind of starting to nerd out a little bit because yeah. I I love this guy. The Dark Knight trilogy, like Nick said, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Last Samurai. That's actually a really good movie. Yeah, it's, it's underrated, but it it's is. Re- it's it's really good. Yeah, I, agree. I love uh, The Last Samurai, Inception, Interstellar, Dune, Pearl Harbor. Yeah, Pearl Harbor. That's another one. Just countless movies, kind of like John Williams, but he's like John Williams, but in a different way. He's like John Williams when it comes to engineering music sounds, if that makes sense. Yeah, like he... More experimental, I would say. Yeah, experimental, just kind of fidgeting around, which kind of makes sense with the way that he grew up because he was always experimenting growing up, you know, just learning off the ear or just going into bands where he's a keyboardist, right? Where he's just experimenting with different types of music and just kind of having fun with it, which describes his um, music career. Yeah, I just love how he captures, maybe it's the expression in his music that I like the most. Like the very end of Gladiator, uh, you know, where Russell Crowe's character dies and the music there when he, like, uh, yeah, that is definitely, the the music sometimes just (laughs) blows me away and makes me feel things that I can't really describe, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, his music, like you said, kind of puts you in a different mind, like a different dimension of the mind yeah. that you haven't explored before. Different place of mind or different mindset, yeah. yeah. Makes you feel something. Not not that John Williams' music doesn't, but uh, I just feel like John Williams is good at making like... Uh, um, like, it, like It puts you into the movie. It's like yeah, when you hear John Williams' movie, it's like you're put into the boat of Jaws or the desert with Indiana Jones, you know, it makes you feel like you're there. Whereas Hans Zimmer, it's kind of more like, oh, wow, this is a... Yeah, well, like, it's, you <laughs> it's know, like when... A, sorry, for, for example, like Interstellar. When I hear Interstellar music, I, I don't... It doesn't put me into space floating around and all yeah. of that, but it makes me feel what they're feeling in the moment, like... Mm. Um, and, and I could really go into deal about, uh, detail about Interstellar because I think it, I think it's a love story, not a, yeah. a science story. And uh, Interesting, yeah. I, I think that that's a really kind of underrated movie. But uh, I think like there's a lot of people that really love Interstellar. Might not get it, but yeah, <laughs> still yeah. love it for the visuals. <laughs> right. But yeah, kind of an interesting note with Interstellar. You know the scene where the main character and that lady went to that water planet, and, and there's that and big the wave tapping sounds. The yeah. Yeah. Dunk, dunk. yeah, with the TikTok sounds. Yeah, or maybe just the talk sound. <laughs> I like everyone is like a month. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a month on Earth because of the time dif- uh, time differential due exactly. to relativity. <laughs> yeah, that was a actually a pretty creative bit that Hans Zimmer did. But um, let's see. Did you guys talk about what movies you want with Hans Zimmer? I can't remember. You talked I'm about would, you, would just be the the Dark Knight. Yeah, the Dark Knight. Yeah. Is there like a particular reason why you like the Dark Knight, Nick? Well, I've always loved that movie. It's my favorite Batman movie of all time. Yeah. I mean, my f- all time favorite comic book character is the Joker. Yeah. And that I feel like is the best portrayal of the Joker. Although I love Mark Hamill's um, animated Joker. Yeah. 
But I don't know. I always loved that movie when it first came out. I mean, I remember when it came out. It came out around my birthday. I remember my dad took me to see a double header at the movies. <laughs> we went and saw, I mean, of course, you know, The Dark Knight and also the third Mummy movie, though. Mm. Uh, the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. And the thing is, <laughs> the third Mummy movie sucked big time. <laughs> ah. It wasn't quite the same yeah. caliber, yeah. I will yeah. say. And, th- and the thing is, you know, we went, you know, when we went to go see those movies, we saw The Dark Knight first. Uh. And then we went and saw The Mummy. So watching, oh my gosh, being blown away by Heath Ledger and his portrayal of the Joker and, and uh, Christian Bale just killing it as, you know, as, um, <clears throat> Bruce Wayne and Batman, you know, it was just, it was an all around amazing movie. And then going to see the third mummy movie. And I'm a big mummy fan. The, the mummy franchise is my second favorite behind Jurassic park. So I had high expectations for this too. And then just to be disappointed (laughs) after I had already seen the dark Knight, it was, it was almost like a chore getting through that movie. (laughs) And so just, it really always stuck in my head because I loved that movie and just my experience of seeing it for the first time. And then also going, serving my mission in Chicago and being filmed in in Chicago and just loving the music. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a big, it's one of my top 10 favorite movies. And so when I think of, about Hans Zimmer, that's always going to be my favorite by him just because of all those different factors. I see. Yeah, that is. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how you associate music with a part of your life. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That is an interesting point. And then, Ryan, you talked about Interstellar. Yeah, and it, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've got to say more about it. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'll regret it if I don't. Okay. Like, I don't know, Interstellar, and, and I'll get into the music side of it, but... I love that movie because the whole kind of concept of the movie for me is him trying to get back to his daughter Yeah. from the very beginning when he finds out that NASA still exists and they're going to send him out to try and save the world. His main concern from the very beginning is his daughter and getting back to his daughter and, and his son. Yeah. And the music just really makes you feel that it makes you feel how just grand of an adventure he is going on and how desperate it is. And, you know, like there's a scene in it where their spaceship is spinning out of control and, and his co-pilot said, you know, he's trying to get it back in line to dock to another ship. And his co-pilot is like, you know, we're done. Like, it's impossible. We can't do this. And uh, he says, it's not possible. It's necessary. Like it's, Mm. you know, I basically saying like, I don't care if it's not possible. We're going to do it because I need to get home to my daughter. Yeah. You know, and then it gets even like it extrapolates even more and you end up talking about different dimensions and, and ghosts and time and gravity. And, but it's, it's just such a cool concept to me because it's, it's basically like a love story and, and talking about people that are important to you, I guess. And the music, I feel like, just really captures that and really makes you feel that, especially towards the end. Yeah. Yeah, I especially like the part where he goes into the black hole, I believe. Is that right? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Like a wormhole, something like that. And you just hear the... You know, just kind of giving the scope of what he's about to enter into, something grand and you don't quite understand it, but... Yeah, unknown, like, I think, I I could talk about that one more, but I'll leave it there. 
yeah, love Hans Zimmer and love oh. most, of the, most if not all of the movies he composes for. Yeah, he did a lot of movies and they're all great. And yeah, and then so I guess my movie uh, I want to talk about is The Lion King. I'm pretty sure everybody's heard of The Lion King. What's The Lion King? <laughs> well, and when we're talking about The Lion King, I'm talking about the good one. The, the first one, the, yeah, the, the animated. One. Yeah, I was about to say, it was like, it's like, don't you dare be say it's the, the new live action one. Because I mean, the Lion King is my all time favorite Disney movie as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it, it's actually kind of a funny story. Hans Zimmer didn't want to do the movie, actually. Really? No. Yeah, and But he changed his mind when he thought about how cool it would be to take his then six year old daughter to the premiere of the movie <laughs> oh yeah i see that <laughs> you know because it would be like the first animated movie that he would compose for right oh that was his first one that's cool yeah yeah so before the job breaking my heart when mufasa dies no that <laughs> 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 music during that scene i can hear it right now it's just like yeah. yeah so yeah he wanted to he decided to do the music for the lion king for the sake of his daughter really because it would be really cool, daddy-daughter experience, to go to the movie, see a movie that his father did, or her father did, you know. Thought it would be a really cool experience. And then, like, uh, when he got into it, he was starting to regret it, actually. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's... Oh, no. uh, but let me tell you yeah. why, though. Yeah. So, partway through the movie, uh, he was kind of regretting his decision because... He's never done a movie for, as he calls it, fuzzy animals before. And, yeah. you know, cartoon, animated, just he didn't, he never had that experience before. And also the two directors that did The Lion King at the beginning were kind of disorganized and just kind of like, we're not exactly sure how we want this movie to go. And, of course, putting stress on Hans Zimmer, like, well, how can I create music for directors that don't know what they're wanting to do, right? Yeah. And so really kind of turned him off for a little bit. But then it wasn't until he saw the screenplay of Mufasa's death that it clicked with him. Aha, I knew it. That's why it's the best music out of the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> when he saw the screenplay for Mufasa's death, it instantly brought him back to the memories he had seeing his dead father in the funeral casket. Because... Simba was only like what six year old, six years old, just like Hans Zimmer was when his father died, and so, you know, seeing the screenplay, it just instantly transported him back to that moment. And I, it's kind of what I feel like happened, you know, because it was the turning point for him was when he realized it was a story about a father and a son, and from there it was just really easy for him to come up with the music. Yeah, he had his like his drive, his yeah, uh, yeah. Cool. relation, yeah. or uh, it was relatable. Yeah, it was relatable to him because he personally knew exactly what Simba was feeling when his father died, and so, like you said, Nick, and I agree with you too. Like the music that you hear when Simba is trying to wake up his father, but he doesn't, and he's crying for help, and you hear the sad. You can hear those voices singing because it's it's all it's all choral music. Yeah, choral music, yeah. and you know it's just like that. I'm I'm pretty sure that's the reason why it really hits with you is because he really put his heart into that you know, for yeah, that scene. So gripping, yeah. And so, and then I just have to add the part the, the part that I love. 
the best about that part. So like after the scar tries to shows up and tries to make Simba think it is his fault, and all of a sudden it's like run away and never return. Yeah. And then Simba runs off, and then you see the hyenas come from out of the dust, and then Scar says kill him, and then you hear the just a boom. Yeah, no, like that music's just like it gives me chills every time I've yeah. ever watched that movie, so because yeah. it's just, and it's just more choral stuff too. Like it's yeah. so unique. It's that out of the box, experimental type that. Yeah, that we were talking about that he likes to to work with. Yeah, so. you know, it, you can really see that he really put his heart into that uh, soundtrack, and I think that's what made The Lion King a huge success. Was you know the soundtrack music. From the scenes of the opening scene with the Nas Winya to the father appearing in the clouds to when Simba is back on his throne at Pride Rock, just all that music just really hits with you. Yeah, and um, yeah, I love the scene where he sees his dad again. Yeah, That's that another, music is good too. Yeah, yeah, I think it, yeah, I guess the point that I'm making is is because of that experience that he had with. You know, his father dying when he was a young age, that it really helped him to create that music for The Lion King. So, And, and side note, it's kind of interesting to me that the directors were maybe... <laughs> disorganized? Disorganized about it because it's based off of Hamlet. Like, you already have the story. <laughs> like, why are kind you... Of, yeah. yeah. But it's just like, the interesting thing is, you know, Elton John and Tim Rice, they did the musical stuff, the, you know, the... Oh, the Can You Feel the Love Tonight. Yeah, Can yeah. You Feel the Love Tonight, <clears throat> the... And uh, Hakuna Matata and all yeah, that stuff. I can't wait to be king. They did those songs. Hans Zimmer did the accompanying, you know, he did soundtrack. the actual film score. Yeah, yeah, he did the film score, and so they did the songs first before the film score. And you know, it's just like, okay, we have these musical scenes, but how is it going to all tie in at the end? And it wasn't until Hans Zimmer's uh, soundtrack score that it all really fit in well. So yeah. And um, that's a great one. Lion King is is phenomenal. It's iconic. And also a fun fact, the very iconic intro scene, the Nas, the Winya. So the singer for that, Hans Zimmer only had one day with him. And really? <laughs> wow, to try and put that all together. And that's so, crazy. <laughs> and so the singer, you know, he was on like a time schedule and Hans Zimmer's like, okay, just put on the headphones. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. You know? That's not a lot of time. Yeah. You know? That's not a lot of time. And so Hans Zimmer said that the first take that he did with the singer was what was used in the film. That's wow. awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> when, when you hear about those like one take, uh, uh, one take recordings that turn out to be so incredible, it just blows me away. Yeah. Sometimes and, and the first take is yeah. truly the best. <laughs> and when you hear that, that, that first note, you know, that nah, like, that's the best part of that whole thing. It's just that, nah, and we see the sun come up. I yeah. love that part. You know, that's yeah. what captures you at the, the very first note of that singing. Yeah. Hans Zimmer said, yeah, I want the audience to realize, oh, we're not in Kansas anymore. We're in Kenya. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, that makes sense. And so, yeah, Hans Zimmer, he is a genius when it comes to experimental film music. Yeah, that's the oh. reason why he's... Oh, yeah. I, well, sorry. And I don't know if we had already kind of talked about it, but I wanted to make sure that people kind of knew the difference between soundtrack music and music scores. Yeah. So from what I understand, music scores are like when composers put together background music for the movie. 
Um, yeah. But there's yeah, yeah, that, that's that's a good point of distinction to make. Yeah, but I, from what I understand, like I, I don't think there's generally vocal. Well, no, there can be vocals involved, but soundtrack music can, you know, they. Can, I, it's like the the yeah. all the music from High School Musical. <laughs> yeah, versus yeah. you know all the instrumental. That goes on in that movie. Well, and, and soundtrack music can be like covers of songs or even mm. pulling other s- songs from other Or artists. it's like Guardians of the Galaxy. All the iconic music you hear yeah. in that, that's all sound, soundtrack. The film score is all the orchestra yeah. stuff. Okay. Yeah, so, so if at any time during this episode I said soundtrack music when I meant to say film score, please forgive yeah. me. Well, no, I feel, like, <laughs> I feel like I've been... Inter- changing those two yeah. i didn't really yeah really, me, no really me to as make well. that so, distinction until <laughs> ryan brought that up and that is a very good point so yeah so so if people have been going like hey that's different from there it's like we're sorry yeah, well <laughs> I, I could just like see the comments coming in in my head on like <laughs> so i i just wanted to yeah, we, we, we we'll have to make to this point in, uh, of the episode too to realize that we're correcting our mistake too <laughs> <Are> we? <laughs> well, okay so from now on we'll talk about composers and their film scores yeah, yeah, and then occasionally talk about, you know, maybe some soundtrack music. Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. It's all good stuff. It so, is. yeah. Uh, interesting thing, Hans Zimmer only won two Academy Awards for Lion King and for Dune. So, really? Um, he won one for Dune? Yeah. Dune? Cool. I, I mean, know. I haven't watched all of Dune yet. I've only seen, like, the first few minutes, and then uh, I fell asleep, and then just haven't gotten back to watching it. But <laughs> yeah. I would say... Granted, it was late at night. Not that the movie was boring, <laughs> but it was just late at night. I come from work, and I was like, oh, I'll, I'll try watching it, but then I, I just yeah. fell asleep. Yeah. I listened to the sound music score that Hans <laughs> Zimmer did for Dune, and I would say it is the most bizarre and interesting film score that he did. Yeah, I would agree. And, and I just, like... I don't know if you guys knew because I didn't know this until that movie came out. Dune was a huge hit back yeah. in the day. It's like one of the best sci-fi novels ever written, apparently. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so and I've never read it. I didn't know anything about it. Yeah, um, I'm in the same boat too. I just remember um, um, one of my coworkers. You know, he's a big reader too and big into sci-fi. He's actually a bigger Jurassic Park fan than I than I am. He knows things about Jurassic Park that I don't even know. But not, not possible. Not possible. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, he really does. <laughs> but anyways, you know, he told me all about Doom when they said that we're that we're going to make it. I was like, oh, that's very interesting. That's a very cool, interesting story with all that politics. But it's interesting because the author apparently he doesn't like writing action scenes like when he gets the action in his books they're very small and he's more into the talking and the politics in his novels yeah yeah well and there's so i from what i understand there's lots of books like it's it's a big long series and uh spans like millennia so i'm i want to go back and and read those books anyways i'm getting off topic Uh, well there's one thing to add on to that too i've heard that dune is supposed to be two movies this first one a lot of people said they didn't like it because they felt it was so slow that's because they're encapsulating everything that the author did with his politics. Yeah. The second one's going to be all action. Yeah, and and I like it. I, I mean, I personally prefer movies where they do that and really take their time with the story and try to do justice for the author. Yeah. I would rather that than... than uh, Explosions. Yeah. So if you're one of those people who says, <laughs> I mean, oh, I watched Dune, I thought it was boring. It's like, well, just wait until they make the next one. I yeah. It's going to be a lot more action-packed from what I understand. Yeah. Sounds anyway, good. sorry. Didn't mean to derail us there. Sounds good. But yeah, Hans Zimmer, just as much of a genius as John Williams, but more into experimental. Woohoo. All right. <laughs> now into Howard Shore. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. 
<laughs> How sure? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Howard Shore, if you're listening to this. <laughs> sorry, I'm working on my dad jokes, okay? My my son is about seven months old, and I got to start. So <laughs> That was actually really good. <laughs> Pretty sure Howard Shore would forgive you. So Here we go. Howard Shore. Uh, he was born in Toronto, Canada. <laughs> and so just like John Williams and... Hans Zimmer before. He started learning music at a young age, around 10 years old. And as a teenager, he became affiliated with teenagers that also loved music. So he loved music so much that he decided to go off to college into Boston. And let's see, he became friends with this guy named Lorraine Michaels or Lauren Michaels. Hmm. And it was his friend, Lauren Michaels, that created the Saturday Night Live show. Wow. Very nice. And so while Howard Shore was in Boston, he learned how to do uh, jazz music for a while. And Lauren Michaels, his friend, was like, hey, you want to be a part of the show? And <laughs> Howard Shore was like, yeah, let's be a part of the show. Hey, let's do it. Yeah. So Howard Shore became the music director for five years on Saturday Night Live. And that was back when it first started, like in the 70s, I think. So during their golden years. Yeah, during their golden years with uh, Chevy Chase, John Belushi, all those guys. Yeah. And so it was actually Howard Shore that actually recommended the title to John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd for uh, Blues Brothers. Really? That's cool. Yeah, so Howard Shore was the guy that suggested that title to the two guys. Interesting. (laughs) So that's an interesting thing there. And so, yeah, Howard Shore had a good run on SNL for a while, but then he decided, you know, I'm going to move on. <laughs> and and so I don't know if you know, was he directly, li- like he was on camera for SNL? Or yeah, he was, um, he was featured on a few episodes where if there was like a rock or jazz band in the background, he would be like one of the musicians. Okay. Yeah, but he was the main guy in charge of like uh, the music. He created the theme song for Saturday Night Live, okay. and he kind of was in charge of making sure the uh, sound equipment was working. Yeah, uh, it's all good. Just, just <laughs> ran the audio or the, or the the yeah ran ran yeah was in charge of the music. In charge of the music, the audio, things like that. And so after SNL, he got affiliated with this guy named David. Cronenberg, David Cronenberg. That sounds familiar. Yeah, so David Cronenberg did a lot of movies. Uh-huh. Guess where this is going. <laughs> so with his affiliation with David Cronenberg, that's when Howard Shore started to become a music composer for film. Okay. And so he and David have been making movies with each other ever since, just like there seems to be something with directors and music composers. There seems to be like... Well, if you find something that works, why change it? Yeah. yeah especially yeah. if it works so well. And I mean, I, I feel like people getting together, like, like two people that share similar ideas and both bring different talents to the table. Yeah. And often, if it works. Yeah. If it works, yeah. yeah. It, it works out good. And so, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be a pattern you're going to see with all these directors and music composers. But yeah, so ever since he and David got affiliated, he started doing music for a film and 
Let's see. He also became affiliated with Martin Schorsch. He's that famous director. Oh, what's um, his last name? <laughs> Martin. I don't. I don't know. Uh, I'm. I'm not sure. too. I'm sorcery. Yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I can't pronounce their last name. Here, spell it for me. Sor- Sorcizi. Yeah, Sorcizi. My, Martin Sorcera. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Huh. And so Howard Shore's first break was the movie The Silence of the Lambs. No oh, way. Really? There you wow, go. that one is an iconic, like, creepy movie thriller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so that was his first break was Silence of the Lambs. And, uh, of course, his biggest achievement was dun, 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 Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that one is <laughs> incredible. Not, not only the uh, music scores on that one, but, like, the artist who contributed to it, like Enya, yeah. Um, I think is in the fellowship. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah she's the one who who sings the the lyrics for the, the, the da 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 da, mm-hmm. or yeah. like the end credit for a uh, fellowship with the "May It Be" song. Yeah, it's like "May It Be." Oh, and then the I don't know if he did the Hobbit movies as well, but yeah, he um, also did the Hobbit movies. Yeah, uh, Ed Sheeran. What's I it see called? Fire. I see fire. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a fun one to play on the acoustic. So yeah, <laughs> that's a great that one. one. Yeah. There's some great music, it, like soundtrack music. Yeah. So some uh, other movies that he did were The Fly, Silence of the Lambs. Wow. Yeah, and I was just looking through a list of his movies. It seems he did a lot of, of the horror genre. Yep. And we're going to talk about that. So Ed Wood, Philadelphia, Lord of the Rings, Avatar, Hugo. No, The Aviator. Why am I talking about Avatar? Oh. <laughs> I was about to say, <laughs> I was like, like, he did Avatar? Yeah. Was like, like, no, sure. no, no, no. <laughs> No, The Aviator with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, yeah. Hugo. That, that's a, a unique movie, great movie. Yeah. So like Nick was saying, for the first part of Howard Shore's career as a music composer, he did a lot of thriller, suspenseful type movies. So like The Fly, Silence of the Lambs, very psychological and eerie. Music. Yeah. Have you guys seen The Fly? That one? Like, I haven't, no. Even today, that w- I've, I've watched it one time, and I don't think I would watch it again. It's it's pretty creepy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and all right. Now we're gonna watch it now, right? So. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not like to to me, it was more grotesque than anything. Yeah. Um, that movie. Like, well, it how was it compared to the? Thi- oh, oh, we could talk about that afterwards. That's totally unreal. Well, I, I can quickly <laughs> tell you the the thing definitely is in the same like as far as grotesqueness, it's in the same vein. But the yeah. fly is. It just makes you feel dirty. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, uh, we'll have to watch it sometime. Never seen it, but yeah, <laughs> pretty cool. But yeah, that seems to be an interesting style, though. Just Howard Shore's, like his early part of the career, he was more psychological thriller, and then the later part of his life, after Lord of the Rings, he became more, what's the word, epic. Yeah. If. It's that if that's a good word for it. <laughs> yeah, no, that that makes sense. I mean, his his later movies, yeah, Lord of the Rings and and things like that are definitely a lot less suspense and a lot more like grandiose. Yeah, I don't and know. And also, yeah, interesting. He did Hugo as well. I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's an I, animated. Uh, I haven't seen Hugo. Oh, no. it's it's not animated. No, it's, oh. yeah, it's a live action based off of a book, and features the um, live well. It features a real-life uh, director, George Minielis. Mm-hmm. So talks about his life a little bit. Anyway, 
I haven't seen that one. Huh. Yeah, so very French themed with that soundtrack um, music score. Keep saying soundtrack, sorry. No, and and yeah, (laughs) I feel like we've all been doing it, and it's just one of those things that, like, you say soundtrack, but you're meaning... The film score. Film score. score. It's just, it's hard to differentiate the two. So, I don't know if you guys have anything else besides Lord of the Rings. No, Lord of the Rings is really all I would have (laughs) under my belt. Yeah, I think Lord of the Rings is the most most well-known for me as well. I'm trying to look through his other ones. Um, Oh, look who did the Twilight. (laughs) <laughs> oh <laughs> well there you go to fans of twilight <laughs> i don't see anything else oh, oh king 2005 king kong oh that was a good one uh, I, I enjoyed that one this is doubtfire big that was one of tom hanks earlier oh, movies yeah i love yeah. big um, very cool let's see uh yeah i'm not really seeing anything else that i really yeah. recognize but yeah definitely like i i enjoy a lot of the music scores for for many of those movies that Howard Shore has done. That's, yeah, yeah. He, he seems like a, I can see why he's one of the big six that you chose for this episode. So. Yeah. yeah, so I guess we'll just talk about Lord of the Rings then, since we're all, <laughs> we're yeah. all familiar with Lord of the Rings. So it's kind of interesting. So how it started, Peter Jackson invited a bunch of composers, including Howard Shore, to come to the set production of Lord of the Rings in New Zealand. And Howard Shore came, and he instantly fell in love with the whole film production, the whole concept of creating movies for The Lord of the Rings, in which he himself was a big fan. I mean, who isn't? Those I know, <laughs> yeah, those movies are awesome. And the, the books are incredible. They yeah. Some of the best fantasy books ever written, I think. Yeah. And so Howard Shore just was like, yeah, I want to be the music composer that does the Lord of the Rings music for the movie, you know, because he was a big fan and just loved Peter Jackson's style. And then when he got into it, it dawned on Howard that it was a very daunting task. Oh, I bet. Well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's three humongous movies. You know, they're they're all over three hours, the extended editions, yeah. right? And yeah. <laughs> yep. that doesn't even include the Hobbit movies, so. But, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, it dawned on Howard, like, oh my gosh, this is really daunting because, one, it's a movie for the Lord of the Rings series, which Yeah, is, Lord of the Rings was already big as enough as a book. Yeah. And so it's just like, oh man, if I screw up on my music, fans will hate me forever, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a, <laughs> I can see why it would be a daunting task. I would be very intimidated to, to handle, and I believe, because Peter Jackson did the 2005 King Kong. Yes, he did, yeah. Which means that Howard Shore was a part of that. So that's um, two times he's been associated with Peter Jackson. Anyway, King Kong was like a big thing for him too, I'm sure, yeah. because, I mean, King Kong is one of those timeless stories that's been around since like before the 1930s. Yeah. So anyway. But yeah, you know, just daunting on the fact that this has a big reputation in the book series. So yeah. can't screw up on the music. And also just the fact that he has never done music for a trilogy before. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not just one movie. It's like nine nine hours at least. <laughs> well, I think you also know there are some parts where you know it's fat you know, you wouldn't think of the music until you watch the scene, but then he also has a, some iconic like motifs throughout the the trilogy as well. Yeah. 
I mean, like the da, 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 no, uh, yeah. all that yeah. stuff right there. I mean, like everybody recognizes that, whether you've seen the movies or not, because yeah. it's been used so much in popular culture too now. Oh yeah. Well, and the different, you know, like when they're in the L, the the is it Rivendell? Yeah, Rivendell. Yeah, when they're in Rivendell versus when they're on Mount Doom or or in the Shire, there's different. Yeah, but even even with um like um Sauron's um. Um, theme that's iconic uh, an iconic motif as well yeah 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 but also just the fact that like we talked about he has never really done a movie of this style before because before he worked on psychological thrillers right mm. so he knows how to create eerie music but he's never really done grandiose epic music like this well, and sorry, <laughs> side note, but um, I, I can totally see his influence in some of the creepier scenes of Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I think it's We're Return not. of the King where they tell Gollum's story and how he, he yeah. became Gollum. Or uh, when Frodo is in the cavern with Shelob. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, yeah. The giant spider, you know. Yeah, you know just those violin strings. And yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, it's, it's almost like a... It reminds me of like some of the bosses in Zelda games or something <laughs> like just the suspense and yeah. yeah. Like my favorite eerie music of the Lord of the Rings trilogy was Nazgul's in the first one. Oh yeah, you know, just like the it's just so eerie, you know, especially with the hobbits that were on top of that watchtower, and then you see all the Nazgul's coming in. Yeah, you know, with their swords drawn out like that. Yeah, you know, or, it's just uh, like not the Nazgul's, but the wraiths. Yeah, the wraiths. The Nazgul's are those dragon-like creatures that they yeah. ride. But but the Nazgul's probably have the same music in, in yeah. the later movies. Anyway, uh, isn't it Nazgul's? I thought Aragorn. So they're ring wraiths. Okay, but they're also referred to as Nazgul's. Okay, uh, technically the <laughs> it's those dragon-like creatures that they ride. Yeah, yeah even though they're not, um, even though they're not dragons, they're called okay. they're Nazgul's. There, there's okay. regular wraiths, ring wraiths. Um, yeah. and then the Nazgul and it, yeah, we could get into that, but <laughs> sorry guys. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> but you know, just like that scene on the watchtower, just the swords drawn in and just like the very eerie violin. That yeah. Yeah. yeah it's... You, know, you can see like where he got that type of music was from his previous movies is that he composed uh, that he composed for. So he actually described himself as Frodo having to carry this big burden <laughs> all the way to the oh, end. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure it felt like that. Yeah. yeah. And then throw it into Mountain Doom, which is like yeah. the hands of the people. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, like, just think about it. You know, he made the first Lord of the Rings. You no, know, it was a huge success. He had to then follow it up with, you know, two towers, and then after two towers, he had to follow it up with Return you know, of the Return, King. Yeah, Return of the King. Which I think. <laughs> I don't know about the two towers, but Return of the King had a lot of like new original composition yeah. that was different from like Fellowship and yeah, you know, so. yeah. Uh, it was interesting. So he won three Academy Awards in total for his involvement in Lord of the Rings. One was for the Fellowship, and two was for Return of the King. Wow! So that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, uh, in Two Towers, he recycled a lot of his uh, Fellowship of the Ring uh, music scores. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the impression that I get. And, I mean, honestly, I don't think... Because Two Towers, there's so much war and fighting in that one. There's not a lot of room for music in that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, granted, also the Two Towers book 
is like the slower one out of the three, mm. the one I hear. And so I guess that also plays yeah, a part maybe. into like the story. Maybe there's not much material to work on for the two towers. Yeah. But all uh, in all, he actually spent four years to write all of the Lord of the Rings music. Wow, that's a long, <laughs> that's a lot of time to devote for like. But obviously, it was worth it though. Oh, oh yeah, how yeah. iconic and grand that music <laughs> is still today. Oh yeah, I mean, it's impossible to think of the Lord of the Rings without the music nowadays. And so, it's also kind of interesting to I I watch like behind the scenes. Uh, so a large part of his music, he recorded the orchestra in New Zealand, but then he recorded solo artists like Pippin's, you know, little song in The Return of the King. Yeah, I love that song. And the story behind that is really cool, how that came about. Yeah, and he recorded the actor for Pippin at Abbey Road Studios. Oh, really? He did it at Abbey Road? That's so cool. Yeah, so when you hear Pippin singing that, that's at the same studio the Beatles were at. Wow. (laughs) That is really cool. Everything leads back to the Beatles. (laughs) Everything. (laughs) But what I really love about The Lord of the Rings is that it combines all the good aspects of music score compositions, where you have leitmotifs, where you have a story, where you have expressions, different expressions, and you have all these things combining together to create one big, long story that really fits well. Yeah. And so... I actually want to take some time to watch three scenes that I think will help you understand, if that's okay with you. Sure. Works for me. I'm pretty sure, sorry for those listening, but might have to beep. Yeah, we'll probably cut this part out, but, you know. We'll leave some links. Yeah, Yeah. we'll we'll leave you links. We'll we'll post about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're short scenes, but they'll kind of show what I'm talking about. So for those listening, we'll be back in just a moment. So yeah, um, for those of you who are wondering what we just watched, we'll leave the links in the description and uh, we'll maybe post them elsewhere as well. We'll we'll let you know. But basically what we watched, I I guess I'll kind of give you my description of it, was different scenes in, I I think two of the scenes were from Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, and one was from The Return of the King. And it's basically scenes where all of the hobbits are kind of coming together again because they get separated at various points, uh, yeah. for those of you that have seen the movies. And not just the hobbits, but like the whole fellowship. And yeah, the, sorry, the whole fellowship in general, but particularly it plays music that has, it's like a leitmotif from the the Shire, basically, yeah. right? It, so, so yeah, you get um, the same music spanning across i i think it's even in the two towers as well but it spans across three different movies at various times uh, kind of bringing everything together i guess yeah yeah so the the fellowship first forms in rivendell when they break after frodo takes off with sam and then again when they're reunited in return of the king back at rivendell again or gondor i think it was gondor they're at gondor oh oh, yeah yeah. sorry i think it's gondor yeah but wherever they're at, you're going to piss off a lot of Lord of the Rings uh, <laughs> fans here. Sorry. Nick. Be uh, careful. It's, all, it's like Lord of the Rings is great. It's awesome, but it's not Jurassic Park. So <laughs> <laughs> shots fired. Wow. <laughs> hey, they're going to get angry at me. I might as well fight the shot before they even have a chance. <laughs> oh, yeah. You can see how Howard Shore was daunted by this task and you know, lots of fans. Anyway. But yeah, just like uh, Ryan was saying, 
Yeah, I chose three scenes, two from The Fellowship, one from The Return of the King, that basically describe like a story that comes around full circle. So you have the first scene, which is The Fellowship being formed in Rivendell, and then you see the second scene where they all break off, and then the third scene where they come back together. In a sense, that's like a story, right? That comes full circle, going together, breaking apart, coming back together. It kind of has a round hole to it yeah. as a story of itself. And and the music just makes that so more so much more evident, yeah. Uh, which is kind of cool. Yeah, exactly. It also makes it more emotional because you know um, there are members of the fellowship that died as yeah. well. That is true. Like and so, when, so when they're well, and they're all reunited, you know, I'm sure they also share the grief of losing the, those members. Yeah, uh, of Boromir. the fellowship as well, Boromir. Yeah, Boromir lost, but yeah. It's kind of interesting because in all three scenes, you hear the same melody, almost in the exact same order. You know, you hear the fellowship light motif. You know, the dun 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 dun. dun, 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 dun. But haven't you noticed that in all three of them they sound different? The first one, the fellowship light motif, sounded grand and exciting. You know, whoa, this is going to be an epic quest. And with the breaking, you hear the fellowship leitmotif as sounding sad and somber, almost like you lost a loved one. I mean, Boromir. Well, yeah, they did just lose Boromir. That, at that is true. Point. And they all yeah. separated. But then when you when they're all reunited again, you hear the fellowship of the ring, you hear the fellowship theme again, but it's kind of more heartfelt and more like you're seeing a loved one again after like you died or something. Yeah, it's got more of like a peaceful, like... Yeah. Uh, it's not as grand, but it's kind of like we're finally back together again, you know? Yeah, like it brings resol feelings of resolution. Yeah. I guess. And it's also interesting that they have the Shire leitmotif as well in there. And you notice that it always plays when Frodo and Sam are together. Yeah. And also, again, each of the scenes had a different expression with their leitmotif. So the Shire one, you know, sounded happy and pippy and poppy, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then the second one, it's kind of like, all right, this is a sad turn in events, but we're going to stick through it together, you know, that kind of feeling. Yeah, like at least we're here, and, and it's not just me going it alone. Yeah. And then, like, the third one, it's, like, also just the same with the Fellowship theme where it's kind of more heartfelt and like there's more emotion after all we've been through yeah yeah and so it's i i want to bring that example as to showcase the brilliance of howard shore's composition and composing where not only does he create light motifs but he creates different expressions of light motifs and to create a story within the music itself if yeah, that makes yeah, sense. It, yeah. It goes along with, I'm sure when they were spotting for it, you know, they're like, hey, you know, let's make it like this. Since this is, in a sense, this is how the melody goes, you know, right here. It's a little bit more peppier when they're first starting off yeah. versus the end of the movie when, you know, the fellowship has failed and the four yeah. just died and the Mary and Pippin were just kidnapped by by the orcs and yeah. stuff. They got to go rescue them and, whatnot yeah. so i'm sure they changed it around also to, to help with the storytelling as well yeah exactly well, and yeah just think about having to write for each of those scenes like yeah. you would 
it, it would take so much thought and time because you're writing the same music, but you have to write it slightly different to incorporate the different, you have to express it differently. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, so yeah, it, it would be, I can see why it took him four years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, keep in mind that all these movies, you know, they, each movie itself took time to create, right? And so having to still have the music all fit together as one, is that's quite an accomplishment to have yeah. all the music connected with all three movies. So I got to say that I got to give Howard Shore a really big pat on the back. Because he did it. Well, and <laughs> I think, so, like, John Williams, for example, yeah. spans across nine, is it, yeah, nine Star Wars movies. Yeah. And, you know, they all have the same light motifs and things, and it, it all is tied together really well. But I would say that, like, Howard Shore with the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit movies maybe has more of a personal touch when yeah. it comes to some of those light motif moments. Yeah. Cuz he like I said changes the expression and and yeah. I don't know that John Williams music does that as much. No, no, that's a really good point, Ryan. Like with John Williams, he is very creative with light motifs, but you can kind of notice that throughout the movie it's the same exact light motif with its expression. It's not like Yeah, cuz John Williams I would say is more known for making, you know, personal things for different characters yeah. rather than creating different um mo- light motifs out of the same melody yeah it's like you don't hear like a heartfelt indiana jones theme really yeah it's <laughs> just the indiana jones theme like it, yeah. it i mean maybe changes a little from from a little time bit to time. like like an example of that uh, there's just the um someone took darth vader's you know yeah. light motif and they made it may uh, in a major key and it's so different <laughs> you could call that you know, yeah. you know a difference in, in the light motif yeah, uh, but it's so weird listening to the the Vader, you know, yeah. Imperial March, uh, in a major key when it's <laughs> originally written, you know, to be in a minor key. Yeah, to to you know, to convey you know just how bad of a dude Darth Vader really is. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, didn't they do that with uh, Nirvana's "Smells Like Teen Spirit" as well? <laughs> they changed the key. Yeah, I'm uh, sure. I'm sure there's the, something like that on YouTube as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting how just changing the key can make it feel. Well, not even just changing the key. It could be the same key, just making it major or minor. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah, can can change the whole feel of the. It could be the yeah. same key, just in a di- you know, just you know, making it major or minor. Yeah, yeah if it changed the whole feel of the music. Anyway. Yeah. Also, another thing that I really have to give appreciation for Howard Shore's Lord of the Rings music score is that he is able to come up with different leitmotifs for different cultures. Mm. He's able to create one for the Shire, for Isengard, for Rohan, for Gondor, for the Fellowship. Because yeah, you do hear different songs and themes when you're, you know, when you're with the elves or yeah. with you're with uh, in Gondor with the men or... or the dwarves. Well, the and, dwarves in yeah. The Hobbit, yeah. yeah. That's a good point, too, yeah. Yeah, and also he cleverly uses the language J.J.R. Tolkien wrote into the song, into the music scores, actually. Yeah. So, like, at Moria, when they're being chased by the goblins and the... Uh, the Balrog the of Balrog, You kind of hear, like, this choir of tough men going, you know, that kind of thing. That's actually the dwarf language. And, That's cool. And these, uh, Poly- they were actually Polynesian choir men. They were singing dwarvish, you know, really pouty and proud, like, you know, like yeah. that. 
<clears throat> and then there's like the uh, scene where Boromir gets shots with arrows, gets mm-hmm. shot with arrows. You kind of hear like a boys choir in the background. That's actually Elvish. And oh, this really? is what it translates into. I do not love the sword for its sharpness, nor the arrow for its swiftness, nor the warrior for its glory. I only love for what they defend. Uh, I like that. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's that's like very cool. So this boys choir during the death of Boromir is actually kind of describing what Boromir is, his honor, basically, yeah. is that he's not fighting for the glory, but he was fighting to protect the uh, two hobbits. Yeah. So I think that's, like, really cool that Howard Shore did that to incorporate more of Tolkien's world into the movies of The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it sounds like he really um, put his heart into that, like, in, into that whole project, you know. Yeah. yeah. Very, very cool. And, and I mean, not it, we didn't really touch on a lot of his other projects, but, I mean, I think The Lord of the Rings really kind of sums up <laughs> his, yeah. uh, just how talented he is, though. Oh, yeah. So good one to talk about i mean he won three academy awards just for that trilogy so yeah it kind of speaks for itself oh yeah and the interesting thing why he won two awards for the return of king was original music score and original song so the original song that he wrote was into the west which is the end credit song that you hear at a return of the king oh that's cool so there you go yeah i really liked the music in return of the king Oh yeah, uh, and, and fellowship for for some reason the two towers did and and like I said maybe it's just because it was some of the fellowship music kind of recycled yeah um, and there was uh, a lot it's of more battle. of an action packed yeah. one I feel as well yeah, yeah yeah exactly but but yeah really enjoyed the the music especially in the first and third one yeah yeah, yeah. I love the first one because it gives a very good contrast between evil and good you hear the innocence of the Shire versus the eerie screechy riders and and, and the drummy uh of the, of the orcs and and Isengard. Yeah. and the two towers it was kind of mellow kind of sad which is the, the tone of the whole movie feels like that they were at their lowest point during the two towers yeah either kind of m- sad melancholy or yeah. or very battle drummy yeah sort of yeah and then return of the king is like epic you know the king has returned and everything's back to its uh, former glory. Yeah, you kind of get a little bit of everything in that one, yeah. I, including um, some of the horror aspects that that's we were talking true. about. Yeah. yeah, with Shelob and everything like that, yeah. I guess that's in the, the Fellowship and, and stuff as well. But Yeah, but as you can see, like it took time and effort, and Howard Shore definitely gave it his all. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, next composer. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that second segment of our three-part segmented series of The Voice of Cinema with John Kassler. Uh, We will be back here soon with the third and final segment. I really hope you enjoyed it, and uh, stay tuned. Thanks. Thanks.